Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Happy Monday, everybody. I love the way my week starts with my radio show each week. And my guest today is Georgine, also known as, I said Georgine, her name is Georgianne. Let me get that straight, please. But she's also known (laughs) as George to her friends. Her last name is Irvine. And if you love animals and visiting zoos, wherever you live, or frankly, anywhere in the world, you're going to love this show. Welcome to the show, George. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show because I love to tell stories, and it sounds like your listeners love to hear stories. And I love to hear stories. And the focus of our show today is about the San Diego Zoo. For those of you that don't know where that is, that is in California, in in San Diego. And you're also, you've combined your association with the San Diego Zoo for over 40 years and being an author of over two dozen children's books about animals. And your books are so beautiful. They are just, not only are they beautiful, but they are, they do provide hope and inspiration and because they're true stories. And I can't wait to get into that. But I thought before we do, let's just let our listeners know a little bit about yourself. So tell us about yourself, please. As you said, I've been at San Diego Zoo for more than 40 years. And so I think I'd like the listeners to know that I have devoted my life to being a spokesperson and storyteller on behalf of animals. Um, I've had many, many different adventures at the zoo, and I've had three careers there. First, let me just say that I majored in journalism in college. So I'm a writer. I like to write. I've always been interested in that sort of thing. And at San Diego Zoo, I started in public relations and marketing. And it's interesting because I got my job about eight months after I graduated from college, but I actually applied for the job well before that, and I didn't get it the first time around. I was a PR assistant, and um, it took me eight months to get that job, but I think I appreciated it more by being in the top two finalists, not getting it, and then having them call me back. So I did public relations and marketing, and it was in the days when we didn't have social media, we had no internet, and so I would work with Joan Embry. She's a blonde woman who was often on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I would go to all kinds of television shows. I was a media spokesperson. I worked with film crews, all kinds of things like that. I handled crisis situations. And I did that for 22 and a half years. And then I was recruited into our fundraising department to become um, director of communications, which was a team of graphic designers and writers. And we would produce all the collateral that we needed for San Diego Zoo to raise 50 to $60 million a year. So that was a big responsibility for us to create brochures and videos that would inspire people to support us. 
And about three years ago, our wonderful CEO, who was retiring at the end of this month, came up with the idea that he wanted to start a publishing division, not a magazine publishing division, but a book publishing division. And because I had written children's books uh, freelance them all along the way, he asked me if I would uh, help create that. So those are, in a nutshell, that's my career at San Diego Zoo, and I know that we're going to talk more about the book publishing division, but I, I think it's important that people know I am so honored to be able to do what I do. Animals around the world are in trouble and habitats are in trouble. And it's interesting because I've, I've watched things change before my very eyes, but I've decided that I can't give up, that I have to uh, stay the course and do everything I can to help animals and their habitats and spread the world about the importance of us coexisting with wildlife. Well, that's beautifully said. So you could have gone into a lot of different directions. When did you know that you wanted to work at that zoo? Was there some inspiration that guided you over there? There absolutely was. I was born in San Diego. I know native San Diegans are very rare. And I grew up going to San Diego Zoo as a child. And I loved animals at that point. And our home was on a canyon, so we had all kinds of wild animals in the backyard, like coyotes and rabbits and even rattlesnakes. And that was fascinating to me. I loved learning about the animals. And my family went um, moved up to Orange County. I like to call it my 10-year leave of absence because as a third grader, you have to go when your family moves. But I came back down to San Diego uh, for college, which is where I studied journalism at San Diego State. In my senior year of college, I decided that I wanted to do an internship at the San Diego Zoo. I thought, you know, I'm back in town now. I love the zoo. I just, I just think this is the direction I would like to head because it sounds fun. And I'll, I'll get back to me saying it sounds fun in just a couple minutes. <laughs> so I, I called the zoo. I remember calling and saying, you know, I'd love to be an intern. And, and their words to me were, well, we do not have internships at San Diego Zoo. So I did the next best thing, and I became an intern uh, at the Convention and Visitors Bureau. And it was after that that the zoo job came up, and I mentioned that I applied, I made it to the top two, and I didn't get it the first time around. But it sounded fun to me, and when I finally got the job, honestly, I had no idea that animals around the world were, even back in 1978, uh, facing a crisis situation, that habitats were disappearing, that animals were being poached. And even though I initially went in to the zoo thinking it would be fun and exciting, once I, I really saw the purpose of what San Diego Zoo was do doing, it, it, it changed why I was there. Uh, yes, of course, I've had many fun adventures at San Diego Zoo. I've got crazy stories. But really, the essence is that I am there on behalf of wildlife. And, and I remember um, when I first got my job, I thought, oh, I'll be at the zoo about five years. Because in those days, you'd stay at a job in five years, and then a headhunter would call, and you'd go on to another job. Well, after five years, I still love my job. And then when headhunters did start calling, offering me jobs for three times the pay, it's like, no, that's not what it's about for me. I, I care about the cause. I care about wildlife and being a spokesperson on their behalf. And so 41 years later, here I am. 
as living a so dream. great. And I, you are. And I'm going to tell you, as I'm speaking with you, I have pulled up the San Diego San Diego Zoo's official website, and just the, the page I'm looking at right now has penguins. So did you get penguins that just arrived this this past week? No, we've actually had our penguins for a few years. When I started oh, okay. at the zoo, we had this old we we had this old penguin house um, with a whole variety of penguins, and then SeaWorld created a an exhibit that was really really wonderful. And we sent our cold weather penguins to SeaWorld, but we opened our new Africa Rocks exhibit. Oh my gosh, time flies! Four three or four years ago, and probably my favorite exhibit at Africa Rocks is an African penguin exhibit. And amazingly, there are penguins that do not live in the Antarctic. And these are warm weather penguins. And and that's what these are. And they're critically endangered. So it was really important for us to create this habitat for African penguins. But we now have a show about African penguins. It's kind of like a sitcom mixed with the Housewives of Beverly Hills. It's really like a soap opera. And it, one of my colleagues created me. He just did a fabulous job. And there are different episodes, and you get to know the penguin personalities and who they are and how they get along and who's mad at, you know, which penguin. And so we've had the penguins for a few years, but this show is hilarious. People will get a big kick out of it, I promise you. Well, you, know, you mentioned Africa. And when I saw the picture yes. of those penguins, I have been to Cape Town. I have been to Borders. I have seen for myself the the penguins in South Africa. And you like to travel, and I like to travel, and you like photography, and I like photography. We have we share a lot of common interests. And this this other page with your rhinos. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful. A website. I recommend that people just go to your website to learn more about what your zoo offers. But why do you think that zoos, including your own, are so important mm-hmm. in the world? You know, most people don't have the opportunity to travel like you and I do. And I think zoos are one important to educate people and show people how magnificent animals are. I mean, that, that's been a given for years. And I've had people say to me, oh, but now you've got video. I can watch video of giraffes, you know, running across the plains of Africa. And to that I say, yes, you can, and that is magnificent. But there is nothing like standing next to a giraffe, looking up at it, listening to it, smelling it, feeling the sense of the giraffe right in front of you because it's alive. So going to a zoo and being introduced to Earth's magnificent creatures is really, really important. And I think a lot of times today, not just adults, but kids don't get outside enough. They don't, they don't go out in nature. And I think when you go to the zoo, it helps you escape. But even more than that now, animals are – facing a crisis. I think I told you that. When I started at Mm -hmm. San Diego Zoo in 1978, there were one, this is just an example, there were 1.5 million African elephants left. Today, maybe 400,000, they've been poached for their ivory. They kill 
gosh, is it 20 a day? I don't have the exact figure. Same with rhinos. Rhinos are being poached. Habitat is being lost. So zoos today, and I can speak particularly about San Diego, but I know a lot of other zoos are doing this, have become conservation organizations. San Diego Zoo Global is on the ground on six continents working with 300 conservation partners to study animals, to protect animals, to work with local people, so encouraging them to save animals and, and capacity building, which means giving them the tools they need to protect their own habitats. So San Diego Zoo, a few years ago, rebranded, and we were called the Zoological Society of San Diego, and we rebranded to San Diego Zoo Global because the work we do spans the globe. And we had a strategic plan called The Call, and the whole idea of The Call was to transform us from being two zoos, that would be our San Diego Zoo and our San San Diego Zoo Safari Park, that happened to do conservation work, to a conservation organization that happens to run two zoos. And of course, the zoos are our bread and butter. I mean, people visit us, and that's what helps support the work we do. We're nonprofit, and so all the money that goes into the zoo and into the safari park that you know visitors leave when they visit us goes right back into us helping protect animals around the world and in our own backyard as well. So, so zoos anyway have this not just education facility, but now they are playing a major role in helping protect the planet. That is so interesting because I didn't know that. I would say that many people that go to the zoo don't realize the the global reach, that not only are you providing a place for for families to have them. I remember going there as a child. You know, it was a big deal to go Mm -hmm. down to the San Diego Zoo. It was special. I remember the trams. I I remember it. I remember the smells. I remember just experiencing that. But to think that yes, we've got the we've got the safari park, and we've got the zoo right right there in San Diego. It's it's a mm-hmm. wonderful place for for um, people to visit, um, regardless of the time of year. But the fact that people can also um, um, be able to recognize that the money that they spend there is going to help animals in other places. Um, that that is just phenomenal, and I I just I I can see why that would mean mean so much to you to be part of that. It's really terrific, um, and and you can actually be a member of the zoo too. Is that right? You can actually join the, the zoo. Is that is that part yes. of what you're able yes. to do? Yes, yeah, that's um, really when cool. When I was in development, we also had a membership department, and people within a certain zip code can join and become um, general members, which includes entrance to the zoo and safari park. And then we have some higher levels of membership that people from, you know, these other zip codes can, can join and they help support the projects that we're working on. And, and again, they get a limited admission to the zoo and the safari park. So we have different membership levels and the whole part of our membership department is one, give people the opportunity to learn about the zoo, and hopefully many of those people will become major donors because it's our donors 
who help build new exhibits, who help fund some of our conservation work. And we feel that when people join as members, it's great for the families to visit the zoo, but then you're also creating a whole new generation with the kids and young people, um, teaching them about wildlife and how important it is that, that we preserve wildlife around the planet. Because by preserving wildlife, we're also helping make the planet health, healthier for humans. Agree, and and your I just went over to your mission page, which oh God, it's just these colors just speak to me. These these pictures of these animals just speak to me. I I have seen a sloth, and I've seen it. I've seen the howler monkeys. I've mm-hmm. seen them. I've I've seen the flamingos. I've seen these, but I love. It's a very simple two sentences about your mission. The San Diego Zoo Global is a conservation organization committed to saving species around the world. Learn how we're working toward that goal. I think that most people, including myself, would not have realized that that is part of what you do as a zoo. And, I, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to learn that and to share that information but I bet, I, just as I mentioned that I went to the zoo as a child, you went to the zoo as a child. Do you have some memorable yeah. moments with the animals that were there, that are there now or were there then? Oh, I, I have many memorable moments. And I first would like to add one more thing on our mission and vision. Sure. We like to say that San Diego Zoo Global is leading the fight against extinction. And we have a rallying cry, which is, and extinction. And that is a very lofty vision, but you know what? You have to start somewhere. So as far as memorable, memorable animals, oh, it, I have so many memorable animal experiences. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I met a giant panda up close. I, I mean, there are things like that. Probably the funniest things, so now I know we were talking seriously, but remember I said I used to take animals up to The Tonight Show. And to different talk right. shows up in Los Angeles. Probably some of my most memorable animal stories were my animal in the hotel room stories, which were, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe this is happening. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a morning show, a talk show called AM Los Angeles. And yep. the show would put us up in nice hotels. So they put us up in the Bonaventure Hotel. So I went up with one of our trainers, Carly, and she and I had one room, and there was a door between our room and the next room, and in the next room was a young tiger who had a kennel, an echidna, which is an egg-laying mammal from Australia, probably the smelliest animal on earth, but beloved. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love echidnas, and Corky, the harbor seal, and he was a young harbor seal, and so Corky got to sleep in the bathtub with water in it. And so (laughs) when Carly and I went to bed that night, we left the room. Corky was in the bathtub. The tiger was in its kennel, and the echidna was in its kennel. We get up the next morning, and Corky's gone. It's like, where Uh is Corky? He is not in the bathtub. We don't see him anywhere in the room. The front door is bolted, so he's got to be there somewhere. So we're looking in the closet, we're looking under the bed, we're looking, you know, behind the dresser, and we're thinking, oh, this is just too surreal. There's no way anybody came in in the middle of the night and took our harbor seal. Well, then 
we heard what sounded like a garbage disposal, kind of a rah, 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 coming from behind the curtains. And what we had not known was there was a space about a foot wide between the curtain and the window. And we were, we were at a pretty high floor. I don't remember, you know, eighth or tenth. And we found Corky behind the curtain watching the traffic go by, looking down on the street. And he was like gurgling and gargling because those are Harborville noises. And I'll just never forget how relieved we were because we were honestly getting ready to call security because we didn't know what to do. But there he was. And thank goodness we found our Harbor Seal. But I always, always remember that. Forevermore. That's that's, so that's one of my funny. That's oh, one of my favorite great, animal stories. I bet. Can you tell me what is it? Is it called an echidna? Is that what it's called? What is that? Echidna. Okay, an echidna. It looks. It's got spines on it, but it's not like quite like a porcupine. It's got a long, slender nose, and it's ground dwelling. It's an egg laying mammal. It's related to the duck billed platypus, and it's from Australia. So it's a very odd-looking animal, and they eat insects. And so we would give them this gruel, mixed-up meat and things to eat. And that is why when they would poop, it was very smelly. And I'll remember on that same trip, the echidna had pooped in its crate, and we'd cleaned it up, but there was still like a smell in the room. And the hotel knew we were in there. So I just remember us turning up the air conditioner full blast, hoping <laughs> that, that the house cleaners were not going to come into the room for a couple hours so that uh, our echidna's um, odor would go away. <laughs> how do you spell echidna? How do, I don't even know how to spell that. E-E-C-H-I-D-N-A. Oh, They're boy. beautiful little should... animals. Well, I'm going to look it up because I, I thought, well, you don't want to see how I spelled it. Okay. So now I know, and I'm going to look Are you probably spell it with an A? Did you start it with an A? I did. <laughs> uh-huh. And a K. That's okay. okay. So I definitely had it wrong. But I, I'm just trying to – I've been to the Bonaventure. It's a, it's a very high-end luxury hotel. I'm trying to picture this young tiger cage, young tiger in a cage, this porcupine kind of thing in another um, carrier and kennel, and then – where the heck's the seal? And it's like, you know, it's not like they're small. And why is it in the water? And how did it get out? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? And so obviously the bathroom door was open. And otherwise it probably was, I don't know what it would have done. But what a, what a funny story that is. I love that. Are there, are those some, are there some animals that just, I don't know, you just kind of cut your heart and say, oh, man. But let me just tell you about let me tell you a story about one of these animals. Is there an animal like that that just touches you? Oh, you know, I say, well, what day is it and what animal is touching my heart today? But there was an orangutan who lived at the zoo. I, there are a lot of orangutans who have touched my heart, including the one I wrote the book about, Karen. But there was an orangutan named Ken Allen who was an escape artist and then there was this elderly orangutan who we just lost a couple years ago at age 55. That is really old for an orangutan. And her name was Janie. And, and Janie really, really touched my heart. And she had a very interesting story. Sadly, someone had had her as a pet. So what happens in Borneo is people will kill the mother and they'll take the animal as a pet. And they do not make good pets. You don't want any wild animal as a pet. But 
she was rescued and she was taken to a zoo in England. Uh, and then she came to San Diego Zoo where she lived most of her life. But while she was in the person's household, she learned to do these unique things that she never forgot even in her older years. And I was mesmerized by that. So first of all, Janie loved to sit by the window of the exhibit and hold court with our visitors. And people would come and they would show her photos and books. She would like to see what women had in their purses. She touched so many lives, so many lives. And when Janie and the orangutans were moved temporarily to our safari park while we were rebuilding their exhibit at the zoo, I wrote a story about the types of enrichment we did with our orangutans to keep them busy until they could get into their new exhibit. So at one point, we gave the orangutans edible chalk so that they could draw with it because believe it or not, they really are smart and they, you know, kind of like to fiddle around and do things like that. Well, evidently when these people had had Janie as a pet, she had learned how to put on makeup, which is horrible, but she took the chalk and she put lipstick on her lips with the chalk and rouge on her cheeks. She evidently had learned that. I mean, you have to say that's a horrible thing for somebody to teach it, but I was amazed that she knew how to do that. And then we, she had excelsior bedding material. So that's kind of like, kind of like hay, but it's longer pieces. And Janie actually wove a rope with this excelsior, made a lasso, and she lassoed a chair outside. They were in a bedroom area, so there were some kind of bars in there. She lassoed the chair, pulled it over, folded the chair, pulled it into the bedroom, and dismantled it. I mean, that, that, think of the how they do that? of these orangutans. It, they are so smart. And Ken Allen, when he escaped, they're, they're very methodical. They plot and they think. And I just have been mesmerized. And then I've gone to Borneo and spent time with Dr. Berthe Galdikas, who is the Jane Goodall of orangutans. And I've seen orangutans in the wild, and they absolutely mesmerize me. They are 97% of our DNA, but when you get to know them, when you look in your eyes, you kind of wonder, well, where's that other 3%? And I, I, I saw habitat destruction. I went with Barute to rescue a baby orangutan who people had as a pet. I saw these magnificent creatures, and it just, my heart went out to them that we have to save their forest. And, and their forests are disappearing because of palm oil. And uh, I haven't been to Borneo since 2005, and I've had friends tell me that, you know, don't go back right now. It's just heartbreaking at how much of the orangutan's natural habitat has been cut down for palm oil. But, um, but Janie Ken Allen absolutely touched my heart. And then I remember when um, Janie got very sick, and our curator invited me to go say goodbye to her. Because, um, you know, an animal's last days don't have to be its worst days. And she was very, very ill. And, and it, it just was, was time for her. So I went to say goodbye to her, which was, you know, I was very teary. It was very hard. But Janie, I was down in her bedroom area, and she reached out to me. Because I think she knew me because I visited her so much. And, of course, I can't get close to her and let her touch me. So she took a brush because she liked to have her, br- her hair brush and she threw it at me 
And I thought, oh, my gosh, Janie, these are your last days, but you still have that inside of you. And I will always treasure the fact that my beloved Janie threw a brush at me because I didn't go and touch her, which I'm not supposed to do. So that that was, I don't know, it just touched my heart. And then when, when she did die and it was on Facebook, 2,000 people minimal wrote passages about how much Janie had meant to their life, how much she had taught them about orangutans. That's a really special animal. So she didn't just touch my heart, but she touched a lot of other people's hearts as well. Wow. That's, that is so great. Boy, it just makes me want to jump in the car and go to the zoo. Oh, my gosh. That, that's, a, that's, a really, that's a really beautiful story. Truly. Well, thank you. And there I many know that more like that. I just keep oh, going on and on and on because I've met so many well, incredible animals over the years. Well, you wouldn't be my first guest that comes back for a second visit. So if we don't get to all the wonderful stories <laughs> today, we'll make sure we do it another time because I, I do agree with you. I think that one of the reasons I love doing this show so much is because People have passions like you have, George, and then people take those their passions and they turn them into part of their lives, which then remains part, it becomes part of their stories. And I'm sure you've been influenced by a lot of people. I, and I guess maybe if in a, just briefly, because I really want to talk about your books too, if you okay. had to say who has had the greatest influence on you, who would you say that would be? Well, besides my parents, of course, there are three people who have played a major role in, in helping me, you know, move ahead with my career and do what I'm doing and have, have taught me so much. The first was my, my boss who hired me for the zoo, who took this young woman right out of college who didn't have a lot of experience and who believed in me. And even though maybe I wasn't the best writer, I guess she thought she could work with me and, and teach me, and, I, and I, I'm guessing she saw my passion, but she also was the person who believed in me and, and enabled me to write my first children's books. So she's what I would call a servant leader in that she believes in her employees and, and she wants you to succeed and did everything that she could to give me the tools to succeed. So, so And she's no longer with us, but Carol... Carol Townsend, absolutely without a doubt, had a major influence. Another person who had a major influence on me was Sherry Lewis. Uh, yes, Sherry <sighs> Lewis and Lamb Chop. And Sherry performed at the zoo one summer. And I, because I was in PR and marketing, I got to know her. And then we started to take animals up to her, her television shows. But Sherry was one of the most diverse, talented people I had ever met in my life and she also wrote children's books and I'll never forget she just told me to believe in myself she said George you have this dream of writing children's books and you're going to do it and so Sherry just was always there for me I could call her up and she'd give me advice and and she was just truly an inspiration to me and then the other person who I'm sure is an inspiration to many people in this world and for me to be able to call this woman a friend just warms my heart. And that is my beloved friend, Jane Goodall. And Jane is a spokesperson, as we all know, on behalf of wildlife. And, and she travels the world and she's 84 now. 
And she's on the road probably 300 days a year spreading the message of conservation. And I, I, I see her whenever I can. But the one thing she told me that really sinks in, and I, I remember this when I'm feeling a little bit down about because of what's happening in the environment. She said to me, because, you know, we, we have a lot of successes in conservation, but then we, we have a lot of um, challenges in that. And she said, George, if people would just give Mother Earth a chance to heal, she will heal and we have to have hope. And she's right. And even though right now we think it's the 11th hour, if people would just start saving habitat and changing the way we live and not being so greedy, earth will heal. And I always have to remember Jane's words when I, when I see things. I hear about global warming and polar bears dying and this happening and that happening. And I always have to go back to Jane telling me we just need to give the earth a chance, you know, and, and she'll heal. So those are the three major, major influences in my life. Well, that's, I mean, you're talking about some pretty remarkable people. I mean, you know, I remember seeing a video with Jane on Facebook where she goes back to, I don't even know where it was, but what I'm touched by is she was with the chimpanzees, right? Is that, was that, is that her? Oh, yes. That was she, right. Yes. So the chimp, and the the one just comes in a hugs her, just hugs her like, mom, mom, I, where have you been? I've missed you. I mean, it, you can feel it. It's palatable. And I, I, I sense that, that those are some of the experiences that you have with Janie, that you know that people, I, I can, I understand it. I feed the birds in my yard. I, I hand feed the <laughs> scrub jan. I hand feed the squirrel because they mean something to me. And I, I, so right. I get, I get the passion. I'd like to spend the rest of this hour because, oh, my God, you and I could talk forever. But I would like <laughs> to talk about the fact that you had mentioned at the top of the show that you, you know, studied journalism. And, and I, I'm assuming that that degree sort of got you over to sort of where you wanted to become a writer. Am I right about that? You are very right about that. Even when I was a child, they would have, like, poster contests in second grade. I remember this contest. It was why I'm proud to be an American. So it was a poster contest, but I wasn't an artist. And so they said that I could write a poem instead. And I wrote a poem, and I won a prize for writing my poem on why I was proud to be an American. And I've always loved to tell stories, and I've always been curious. And and so journalism – led me in the direction of storytelling. And I do like to joke about one thing. Um, I like to tell people, and this is sort of true, that I I wish I were a Broadway musical star, but I can't sing and I can't dance. And in a way, (laughs) I know it's funny, but in high school, I tried out for the acapella choir because it was an elective. You could either be an acapella or you could be in school newspaper. And I was not good enough, and I did not make the acapella choir. So I think it was fate because I became the editor of the school newspaper, uh, you know, writing stories, editing, and I think it was meant to be. And so the rest is history. So journalism taught me how to research. It taught me how to write. It helped me hone my storytelling skills, and it definitely – 
enabled me to get my job at the zoo. I, I studied journalism with an emphasis in public relations. I didn't want to become a news reporter, not for reasons other people might think. The reason I didn't want to become a news reporter was because I wanted to stay in San Diego, and I knew that if I was going into newspaper or television, although I really don't think I have a face for television, um, that I would need to move and I would need to start in a very small town and that I would probably be transient for many, many years. So I just decided I, I didn't want to do that. And public relations seemed really interesting because of the diversity of the types of things you do. You write, but you're a spokesperson. You solve crisis situations. You work with film crews. And so I really like the variety that was offered to me in public relations. And I'm, I'm so glad that that is the direction. And I think everything I've done at the zoo up until my current job as director of corporate publishing has prepared me for what I'm doing now and helped me hone those skills of storytelling. Uh, it's, so journalism it's wonderful, is very truly. important to me. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting Journalism teaches you how to write. It teaches you how to have a concept yes. and take it from point A to point B to point C to the conclusion. Yes. And, I, you know, you could be a journalism major in college and then go to law school. You know, it, it's, it's, exactly. it's a skill. I mean, you could become a grant writer. You could be doing all kinds of things. Or, as you did. Writing is important. Become, yeah, writing is it important. Is. Absolutely. It's it's a way it's such an important way of communicating and now we have tools that are so, you know, sophisticated from what was around when you first started <laughs> in college. I mean it's just there's no oh comparison. Gosh, there's it's, no it's crazy, comparison. right? I will never forget an Oh, it's crazy. Well in high school my father and I was so angry at him made me take typing, which people today would call it keyboarding, in summer school. It's like, I'm getting straight A's. Why do I have to go to summer school? And he said, if you're going to be a journalist, you've got to learn to type. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness he insisted that I, I learn to type because that's the basis for working on the computer and, and, and everything else. And um, I also remember I had a, a journalism teacher who, first day of school, he proclaimed, nobody in my class gets an A, ever. And I said, oh, how okay, nice. game is on. And, of course, I got mm. an A in his class. And I think he said that just to stir us up and make us work all the harder. Oh. But, but things, yeah. times have changed now. You used to have to go to the library to research, and now you go online. And, and so I think people can get information, not I think, I know people get information a lot faster nowadays with the tools that we have at our hands. But I am glad that I started in the antiquated way, because again, I think it yes. it taught me how to be resourceful. I truly, and you know, you can read books online, and you can read books. You know, there, you know, people belong to book clubs, and and it's like, well, I just listen to it on my tablet or whatever. But there's that tactical. It's kind of like the newspaper. I still receive the L.A. Times delivered to my house. There's something about touching a newspaper or touching a book. And in the case of your books, I mean, they're, they're really, I'm not just saying this because you're my guest today, but your books are really fabulous. And I'm just curious, I'd like to know about the first book that you wrote. What, what, was, what was the title of the first book that you wrote? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. The first, 
Oh, yeah, I, I certainly do. And I, I vividly remember writing it. It was called Sydney the Koala. And it was in a series of six books that Ideals Publishing was doing for, like, very young kids. And this is where my boss came in, Carol. Ideals Publishing approached the zoo and said, we would like to create a series of six children's books using your photos. But to my boss, they said, do you know of somebody who might be able to write these books? And, of course, because I had expressed my dream to her and I was also editor and writer of our children's newspaper, she suggested me. So I thought, I, oh, my gosh, I now have my dream come true. I have a contract to write six children's books, short, but still six, and I've never even written one. Holy cow, now what do I do? I remember thinking that I was terrified. So I remember writing the Sydney, the Koala Manuscript, and I remember calling my editor in Racine, Wisconsin, and saying, may I read this to you over the phone? Because keep in mind, no internet, no fax machines. And it wasn't a real long um, manuscript, but I read it to her, and she said, that's it. That's exactly what I'm looking for. And that gave me the courage to get the other five books written, and then the rest is history. And I remember I was paid a flat fee of $500 per book for people who want to write children's books. If you think you're going to become really wealthy, very few children's writers become wealthy. I mean, best-selling <laughs> authors, yes. But, uh, but what's really cool about the books I'm doing now is that all proceeds go back to San Diego Zoo Global to help us lead the fight against extinction. And um, thank you for your kind words about our hope and inspiration collection of books because they, they're, they're stories that are very near and dear to my heart, of course, because of the animals that I write about, but, but just the types of stories that they are as well, I think that resonates with kids. You mentioned people liking to hold books in their hands. There was a time when I think most people thought that the printed book was dead. And what's really interesting, even with adult books, book sales of, of printed adult books are going back up again. I think what's happened, and this is particularly with, with children's books, the sales are really great. I mean, parents, I think, are tired of their children looking at their phone or holding a device, and, and they want them to read the books and have that tactile feeling. And so I think the millennials and the younger, other younger people really have seen how advantageous it is to actually have real printed children's books for their kids. And I think um, so, so when our CEO decided he wanted to start a book publishing division, he was very wise because it was a really, it was a really opportune time to, to create this book publishing division. And we've got a lot of different books, but my specialty are the nonfiction illustrated with photos. Well, I think the other thing that's really uniquely beautiful about your books, um, there's just so many things about them, and, they're, and I know they've won awards, is that, first of all, the stories are true. It's, it's, not, it's not, you know, this is based on um, things that, have ex that you've experienced in the zoo. And right. you could be that grandparent or, or mom or dad that's reading this mm -hmm. book to your children and then asking them, questions about what they've seen or what they think or 
or any of those things? What do you think should have happened? Or how how did you think that that a that a little baby cheetah could be friends with a dog? You know, did you ever think mm-hmm. that could happen? I mean, it opens up the space for so much conversation, and like you said, and it takes them off of their devices, and it gives um, mm-hmm. some some child parent experience. I could see it um, somebody a, a volunteer going into a classroom and reading these books to children. I mean, they really are, they're just, they're so great. I, I, I sincerely mean that. It's, it's pretty cool. And you said all of the proceeds go to the San Diego Zoo, is it the foundation? Yes. Or, or where the foundation? The San Diego okay. Zoo Global, well, we have our wildlife conservancy, but the whole organization is nonprofit. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, one of the things, about these books, here's what I figured when I came up with the idea for this series. I figured that if I can introduce a child to a specific animal like Karen the orangutan or Floyd the flamingo or Rooks and Raina the cheetah and dog or Mosey Moose the monkey, they would identify with that animal. So instead of teaching them about orangutans in general, if they could get to know Karen and her story my hope was that it would inspire them to learn more about orangutans and other animals and to care more. And indeed, that has happened with these books, and they're illustrated with photos, and probably the biggest challenge of doing these books is having the photos that illustrate it from the beginning to the end, because we have a lot of stories like this, but we don't have a lot of stories with the photos that accompany them. And that, that's probably my biggest challenge in creating the books. But what I have started hearing from parents is that these books are also teaching their children about life. Like Karen is about a brave baby orangutan who had to go through open heart surgery. And I've started getting emails and letters from parents saying, my child had open heart surgery just like Karen. And we were never, I was never able to explain the process to her and, and your story has done it more than we ever could have explained to our child. And now Karen is our child's favorite animal in the world because they have something in common. Or I've had parents say my, my child is undergoing heart surgery, hole in her heart or his heart, and, and Karen has given them the bravery that they need. Like if Karen can do it, I can do it. And I'm finding things like that with the other books as well, you know, friendship, miracles, that sort of thing. And so instead of just, introducing kids to individual animals and and teaching them to care about animals and their species. They're also teaching them about life, some difficult lessons, but that's because the kids can identify with the animal and it it makes it easy for them. And we also create plush to go with the books. They, you know, they're sold independently, but a friend just sent me a photo today of her son snuggled in bed, reading my Karen orangutan book with Karen orangutan, the plush and so we, it's a little orangutan plush, but we've shaved the chest and put a little heart on it so it identifies with Karen in the book. And so there he is reading the book, snuggled up to Karen the plush with our little Floyd Flamingo plush on the other side of him. And oh. then another woman told me that when she finished reading the book to her child, she used the plush to reenact the stories. And just like you said, what would you do in this situation? And they used those plush to play act so it's it's really we kind of made it up as we went along but i think now we have a, a solid 
path to creating these books, and we know that they're working because of the feedback that we're getting. I bet. Um, I I will I have posted in my blog, but and I will also post it again once our show is over. But people can, if they want to just learn about your books, I just want to tell them that they can go to hope and inspiration dot san diego zoo dot org and it will it will take them over or they can just go to shopzoo.com, dot com which is another way that they can do that where they can see their books and um whether they i i'm going to presume this so you just correct me if i'm wrong whether they buy them okay. directly from the zoo or they buy them through another website you still get the proceeds is that correct yes that's or is that incorrect? Absolutely. Okay. So no, no, if somebody is, goes to Amazon and decides to buy them, okay. I, I wanted to be sure that that yes, didn't the zoo take gets any money the out royalties. of here. Perfect. Well, no. you know, okay, that's really, that's important to know. You know, what I want to ask you about, so I've got these three books here because thanks to Carol Claps, who really, who connected us, you and I, together, which I'm so mm-hmm. grateful to Carol mm-hmm. for doing that. She's in Connecticut. You're in San Diego. I'm in I'm in um, I'm in Westchester. I'm in Los Angeles. There we are, three women all connected. I know <laughs> that you have another book coming out, and when I want you to tell everybody the name of the book that's coming out, and has it already released or is it about to release? It has already released. It's already out, and it's called Mosi Musa. That's M O S I M U S A. And it's Mosi Musa, a true tale about a baby monkey raised by his grandma. I think mm-hmm. it's a story that is going to resonate with a lot of children who maybe aren't necessarily being raised by their grandparents, but their grandparents are playing a role in raising them. I think today you have a lot of families where grandparents are very, very important. And it's a story about a baby vervet monkey. Vervet monkeys are from Africa. So Moose's mother, Louise, had had a stillborn the year before. And when she got pregnant again, she started carrying a ball around, like, you know, a big round soccer ball type ball. And she cuddled it and she cradled it and took it with her everywhere, which gave her keepers reason to believe that she would be an amazing mother because she was treating the ball like a baby. So she went up to our zoo hospital in case she had trouble with the birth. And so her name was Louise and her mother's name was Thelma, Thelma and Louise. And so her mother, who was also her best friend, went up to the hospital with her. It turns out that Louise needed a C-section. So the baby was born by C-section. And when we tried to give him back to Louise on numerous occasions, because we really want the mother animals to raise their young. We don't want to have to raise them in a nursery like in the old days. Louise pushed the baby away. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. We don't know why. Maybe because she was sore and this thing came out of her. I mean, we really don't know why she pushed the baby away. However, Thelma, this elderly vervet monkey, smacked her lips and reached her hands out like, give me that baby, give me that baby. So what we did is we let Thelma raise the baby, but of course she couldn't nurse the baby, so we assisted her. We had our keepers hand-feeding the baby with a bottle, and then we would give the baby back to Thelma, and Thelma 
could snuggle it and cuddle it and act like a mother would act and also teach Mosi Musa how to be a monkey. So it's that kind of a story. And it's a really heartwarming, touching story about a grandma taking over when mom just couldn't do it. And I think, wow. like I said, it's, it's really special because there are a lot of kids in the world who are facing similar situations. Mm-hmm. And um, as I like to say, I think grandmas and grandpas make the world a better place. And they certainly made the world, grandma certainly made the world a better place for Mosi Musa. Um, and she was, she's very old. And I, I will be really honest, the book ends, and it, but about a month or two ago, we did lose Thelma. And it was mm. very, very hard to lose her. But she had been with Mosi Musa a, a couple years, and that's when the story ended. Um, but we did put a little tribute to her in the back of the book. But, and I got to go say goodbye to her. It was very painful, very sad, but, but she was really not doing well. But here's what I figured, Marcia. Think of this monkey who loved raising babies, but she couldn't have her own anymore. And now in her last, in her senior years in life, she had a baby to raise. Isn't that amazing? Even though, yes. you know, she eventually, we did lose her. But like I said, Mosi Musa had at least two years with his grandma before we lost her. And what a great end of her life for her to have this baby to protect and to, to raise. So to me, it's, it's really quite an amazing story. How did these animals get these names? I mean, Mosi Musa. Okay, Mosi Musa means firstborn in Swahili. Sometimes oh, the uh, sometimes the keepers name the animals. Sometimes we have major donors who are very generous to the zoo get to name the donor or the animals. Sometimes they are named after the major donors. Sometimes we give them a selection of names from which you know five names, and you can choose one. We've had naming contests online, so we. We name them in all sorts of different ways, but in this case, because Mosi Musa was the firstborn surviving baby of Louise, um, they really loved that name. And his his name is Mosi for short, and he's just a little pistol. He's he's mm. growing up, and uh, he's got a lot of energy. Let me tell you that it's pretty. He's pretty cute, pretty special. Oh, you know, I I've just had a visualization as you were speaking about the zoo and one of my visualizations goes back to the flamingos because frankly you're a kid when would you have ever seen a flamingo i mean why did you ever even you know you you know i know what it felt like to go on a a night ride and a a day drive um i know they they just don't call them safaris there's the, the, the what you carried or what you carried to shoot with was your camera and um exactly. and I was very fortunate to to see nature at its finest and and people at their finest um appreciating these animals in the wild it was I have so many pictures on my wall it's just sort of it's like do you have room for another trip it's not I don't think so <laughs> um but you know you, you you just you just don't know what you're going to experience. And I think that the zoo provides, do you still have like, do schools still come through and take school trips and things like that because they're, they're nearby? Oh, yes. 
Oh, absolutely. All second graders in San Diego County um, get to come to the zoo. But something else that we've done, we've got something called Zoo Zoo Express where we take animals to um, senior living facilities and children's hospitals. But we also have something called, this this is amazing. It's not live animals. It's called San Diego Zoo Kids Channel. And what it is, and we had a wonderful donor, Denny Sanford, great philanthropist, so generous, give us the funding to do this. It's a closed-circuit television channel with all animal stories, no commercials, that runs nonstop in children's hospitals and Ronald McDonald houses. And right now, this channel, which we provide free, um, donors pay for the hookup fee, but we have a whole team of videographers and and reporters for the show, right now it is airing in nearly 300 children's hospitals. And we're starting to get feedback, and we've we've got people doing studies that we've had parents say, my child at least for an hour was able to forget the pain that she's in, or I haven't seen my Mm -hmm. child smile in a month, and now my child is smiling. And we've had nurses tell us that the kids who watch this channel take less medication, they're in the hospital for less time because the stories inspire the children and help them at least forget for a little while while they're there. And it's interesting because we're doing it because, as our CEO says, it's the right thing to do. And I'm really proud of that, very, very proud of that. And we are continuing to expand. We are even – in India, we're in Pakistan, oh. we're in Australia, so we're really spreading the word with this kids' channel. And what's really cool is they're not just San Diego Zoo stories. When we go, for example, if we are in Denver and we're doing, um, you know, we're opening up in a hospital in Denver, we send a video crew to do stories about animals from the Denver area, whether it's the Denver Zoo or a wildlife preserve, and then we integrate them in with this kids' channel. And it's remarkable the impact it has had on children all over the world and like I said we're continuing to grow it and and someday we hope we'll be able to put it in senior living facilities and uh, it's it's bringing the animals to the kids and if they can't visit the zoo if they're not well enough to do that the least we can do is bring the zoo and safari park and animals from around the world to those children that is so fabulous uh, that is really, uh, that is heart-wrenching, heart-warming. And you're saying it's not like it's just in the San Diego area or the Bay Area or, you know, Children's Hospital Los Angeles. It, it sounds to me like you just mentioned India, and I think, did you say, and did you say Pakistan as well? I said, no, I said Pakistan, and I still don't know how we got into Pakistan, but we're in, I think, 11 countries oh. nationwide continuing to expand and we are in cities all over the U.S. It's not just the big cities. It's wherever there's a children's hospital or a Ronald oh, McDonald house. And, and we figured out the technology, and we, we can connect to their systems, and then they, they need some kind of a machine to help it all work together. I'm not a technical person, sure. but sure. It, it's just to know we are doing something for these children and their families. Uh, that I was going to really say my heart. that. That I, I've done some work with Children's Hospital LA in their literacy program, and I've also worked in an organization that collected Play-Doh for Children's Hospital in LA. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the child in the bed. 
although that is obviously the primary concern. But oftentimes those children have siblings, and obviously yes. they have other family members, and everybody is part of that. It doesn't necessarily, and so for like so a, a child that's getting chemo or, or having some kind of serious mm-hmm. condition, watching TV with their sibling, like it, it's yes. mimicking whatever can be as close to home life as possible, mm-hmm. is, is, mm-hmm. is just as beneficial for that child as it is for that sibling to be able to share that experience. I, I, this this show has been, you know, I tell people, you know, this is a, I, it's informative, it's entertaining, it's enlightening, but this show is particularly this show is inspiring, and I think you've brought an awareness that maybe many of us did not have, and I would just recommend to people that live wherever they live, go check out your local zoo, go see if perhaps. Your local zoo. Now that we know about this San Diego Kids Zoo channel, it, would there be somebody if somebody's you know in another part of the country and they wanted to somehow get this information? Would there be would there be a link that you could share with me and I could publish? Or can you say what that would be? How would people yes. even know how to do that? We have San Diego Zoo Kids uh, a link on our website, and I can send you that link. And if okay. there are children's hospitals that we are not in, we want to hear from people because yes. we really want to be in every children's hospital and Ronald McDonald House in the United States and around the world. And just in California alone, we were I'm, – I'm looking at my list. We're in Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, of Orange County, Santa Barbara, Kids Cancer Connection in Los Angeles, Long Beach Memorial Medical Center. I mean, we are – we're really all over, but then we're in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, too, which oh, is where our generous gosh. donor is from, Denny Sanford, and we're in Louisiana and Maine and Maryland. And, and so, yes, I will send you the link to San Diego Zoo Kids Channel, and there is a way via that for people to contact our team. Uh, and Wonderful. we would be more than happy to work with Wonderful. people to get it in their children's hospital. Absolutely. Well, I think that, and his name is so Denny Sanford, S A N F O R D is the is the donor who provided the funding to do this. He is one of the most amazing, generous men ever. I feel, and he supports all kinds of uh, philanthropies and hospitals, mm-hmm. schools, that sort of thing. So we are so honored to have him support San Diego Zoo and um, our kids' channel. And he's also the lead donor for our new children's zoo that's currently under construction but should open up in a couple of years. But, yes, John Sanford for all the work he has done, no not just for us, but around the country, around the world. Well, I knew, I knew before the show even went on, and you and I had a brief conversation before we did the show because we, we hadn't met each other. This could easily be a two-hour show. There's no doubt about that. And I would just say this to you. This is just, I see this as part one. And I I feel <laughs> so compelled to just want to get in my car and go to San Diego and meet you in person. But I, I want to just thank you, George, so much. You, you talked about what a blessing um, Danny Sanford is, but you are as well. And the fact that you landed in a job with the passions that started with you when Carol saw in you somebody that 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 she saw something that maybe you didn't even see in yourself. 
Um, I just, and the Sherry Lewis and the, you know, and, and Jane Goodall, I mean, talk about some um, interesting people that you've come to know. This has just been a pleasure to have you as a guest on my show today. I, I want to thank you so, so much. Thank you. Wow. It's been it's been fun sharing my stories, and I know I've kind of been all over the place with stories, but there are, are just so many things to share, and I, I do have a lot more stories I'd, I'd love to share with you and your listeners another time. I would just love that. But I will say for, for now, we'll just leave people hanging. Maybe you'll maybe someday you'll write a story about the harbor seal. I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, I there, there must be it's like where do I put all my stories? There's only some 24 hours in the day, right? I mean, you have to have a life too sometimes. But uh, I just well, I just did write a book about joyful. Corky. I, it's you called, did. It's called the true story of Corky the harbor seal by Scholastic. It's out of print, but if people really wanted to read about our beloved Corky. It's an amazing story. It's it's the true story of Corky the Blind Seal. And uh, if they look up my name, wait, wait, I'm wait, sure they can find wait, some used copies. Wait, you didn't, okay, was I just not listening? Did you say he was blind? Well, I didn't, he became blind. He was not oh. blind initially. He was rescued oh. off the shore of La Jolla and he became an animal ambassador. But then he became blind with cataracts. And oh. what's amazing oh. is that he learned to, he survived and learned, instead of having visual cues, he had auditory cues and tactile cues to be able to find his fish and, and do the different things that he did. And so it's, it's a pretty amazing story about a, a brave little harbor seal. <sighs> Um, who wow. never gave up either, and the trainers who never gave up on him. And it's for a much younger audience than my current books, but it, it's a really, it's mm-hmm. a wonderful story. And like I said, it's out of print, oh, but uh, okay. he held a very special place in my heart, little Corky. I bet he did. Well, I want to thank you. I know that, that, that you've been very, very generous with your time, and I know you have more to do this afternoon. So I will be following this up for for people that didn't listen to us live, just so you know that that's what will happen next. I will make sure mm-hmm. that this link is embedded into my blog that I'll be writing this afternoon, and then you can share it wherever you'd like. I would recommend for those of you that have listened, share it with your friends. This is a show that should go viral, in my opinion. And I, I know I could say that. Well, wouldn't you say that about all your shows? Maybe. But this show in particular, because I feel so touched by this, I feel like for all of my Facebook friends that are out there, share it. Share it on your pages so that people can hear the great work that's going on in San Diego because I would certainly like people to know, and they can contact you. Your website is very attainable. So I guess I have to just say until next time, um, I look forward to that next time with you. But for all of you, Trust me, the shows don't stop here. I am so blessed and so thrilled that I have booked shows all the way in through the first two weeks of January. And I think I will probably give myself a little bit of a break on the last two Mondays in December and post um, a rebroadcasted show because, frankly, I don't ever take any time off. And I probably need to do that and spend some time with my family over the holidays. But this is such an honor to have people like yourself join me. I'm, 
I'm just thrilled. So I will say goodbye to you now, George. But it's just it's just a so it's sort of a so long until we meet again. How does that sound? <laughs> that, that sounds great. And thank you again for having me on your show and letting me tell a few animal stories. I loved it. Okay, everybody, have a great week. Bye for now. <laughs>